0: Live. Hi, everybody. Today is June 30th, 2016, and this is the Mixed Experience. It's the only live weekly show about being racially and culturally mixed, and it's basically a mixed chick's mixed thoughts on a mixed- up world. I'm Heidi DeRoe, and I'm your host, and yeah, today, guys, we have a really fantastic guest, someone who I have known for a long time mostly via the interwebs, uh, although we have met as well, but she's someone I greatly admire, and I'm so excited to be able to share the story of of her new book, The Letting Go Trilogies. But before we talk, I just wanted to make a couple of announcements. Uh, I am doing a few more shows during this summer, and these are really fantastic guests that are coming up, and so Go to the talk shoe page or go to the website www.themixedexperience.com to find out who's coming on in the next uh, three, four weeks. Really wonderful, fantastic, talented writers who have new books coming out. And you know you need some summer reading, so you'll want to tune in to these shows. I also wanted to mention that, uh, yeah, the Mixed Remix Festival happened. <laughs> I'm still recovering from it. It was fantastic. We are already starting to plan for 2017. So if you are interested in becoming seriously involved in the planning of it, and by this I mean we're going to take up a lot of your time. Um, You know, I usually say, oh, we'll take up as much time as you can. Uh, We'll we'll take whatever. We actually need people who are, like, heavy-duty, heavy hitters who want to, like, spend a lot of time doing this because we're at that critical growing Point for the festival where you know, we either make it or break it at this point and we really want to make it and we have every opportunity to make it just a solid, fantastic organization as well as a really amazing and extraordinary bigger event. So uh, contact me at, at Heidi at MixRemix.org if you're interested in doing that. And then finally, we actually have festival T-shirts for sale online. Gosh, I don't even have the URL handy, but I will post it up on Twitter and Facebook, uh, also the blog, because you want this t-shirt. It just says everything that you are. It says, I am a story, right? That's what we all are. So this is the new official festival t-shirt, and we're selling it for $25, which includes shipping, which means we're not making a whole lot off of this enterprise, almost nothing, in fact. Uh, but we definitely want people out there spreading the word about the festival, and maybe it should be you. So, without further ado, let me get to my fantastic guest today. Uh, today on the show, we have the award winning filmmaker, radio producer, and writer, Demay Roberts, who has recently released her new book, The Letting Go Trilogy Stories of a Mixed Race Family. The book itself traces four decades of what it means to be a mixed-race adult. The essays written over 10 years document Roberts' journeys through her biracial identity as a Taiwanese-American amid love, loss, and letting go of past regrets and pain. Roberts is a two-time Peabody Award-winning radio producer and the executive producer of Media Rights. Her radio documentary, May May, A Daughter's Song, is a harrowing account of her mother's childhood in Taiwan during World War II, and is also uh, adapted for film. Roberts has received the Dr. Suzanne and Civil Rights and Social Justice Award from the Asian American Journalists Association and the 1996 Oregon Book Award for Drama. I am super excited to welcome my friend and uh, an artist in every right who I greatly admire. Uh, welcome to Mae Roberts.
1: Oh, thank you for that wonderful welcome, Heidi. I I admire you, and I don't know how you do the mixed remix festival every year. It's it's amazing (laughs) to me, Um, and I just want to do a shout out for next year. If uh, people want a roommate, please contact me because I'd like to go next year. (laughs) That's a really good room.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yes, listen, you know we we are working on that today. We were we actually missed out on your talents and other talents because you know we're doing this on such a shoestring budget. Oh, of course, we're, no. We're, we're trying to figure out. We're going to figure out how we can bring and make sure we have all the best talent there. Especially next year, it's the 50th anniversary of the oh. Loving v. Virginia decision. Yeah. And so we're yeah. So we're gearing up. We're kind of excited, uh, a little bit scared, but I think we can do it with the help of. Well, let's a yeah.
1: Great let's team. do some fundraising, uh, brainstorming, yeah. and uh, get that going because anniversaries that's important and that, that's that's big, important. right? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. So, I didn't realize
0: that. <laughs> it's huge. yeah. So, Before we go any farther with this conversation, I have to ask you the most important question we ask on this show every week, Mm. which is, what are you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am biracial, Asian American, Chinese, or Taiwanese or HAPA, or multiracial, or mixed race, depending on what I feel like saying I am on any given day, <laughs> you know, that's part of what I do is I, I charted, you know, all the names. I sometimes feel like the, the uh, I don't want to say the veteran mixed race person at, you know, mixed race gatherings now, but, you know, some of us were there when there were no names, you know, there were no names for what we were, and people didn't even ask you what what you were you know, um, back then it was just, you were just odd, <laughs> you know, you were just different. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, so it's nice to have all these names, but that's part of what I write about is just sort of these transitions of, of, of identity, you know, and how it's changed through the decades, and, um, you know, it just depends on the situation, on who I'm talking with, but uh, and how far I want to go, you know, how deep I want to go when I'm talking yeah. about, Identity, and so you know that you know um sometimes you don't want to talk about identity you know sometimes you just want to get your hair washed or you know, <laughs> you just want to get go to get a haircut somewhere or you know go do laundry you know? so yeah, so it just depends on that, so that's the long answer to your very important question
0: well I, I, the next follow up you've also answered it was really you know how has your answer evolved or changed over the years, but I think um. It's safe to say for you, there there actually was a long stretch where you weren't necessarily thinking about having to have a name for yourself that not at many all many people no. read you no. they read you as white and didn't see any difference in you.
1: Yeah, I jokingly call myself secret Asian woman now, but for the longest time I was secret Asian girl. You know, because I'd have to come out <laughs> of my cover. You know, I it's like I was undercover Asian. <laughs> you know. So I'd have to tell people, and then it would lead to large interrogations of, well, which side, what side, which part, which half, and how did your parents meet? That, that's more of the question that I get versus what are you? Is how did your parents meet? And then when I tell them about my dad being in the military and my mom, you know, being in Taiwan and and how they met, um, the next statement I get usually is, oh, your mom was so lucky your dad married her, you know? And it was like, wow, there's, you know, there was just this kind of strange uh, assumption there that uh, interracial people um, don't necessarily fall in love, you know, that they have to get married for a certain reason. it's usually because of you have a child or something. So, um, so there are a lot of assumptions that go through these conversations, which I call interrogations a lot of times. Because yes. you're, you're looked at as some oddity, you know, some strange story. Not as much anymore, which I'm so relieved by. I'm so relieved by that. It's, um, but for a while, it's, it was like you were some, some um, specimen in a lab or something, you know, <laughs> to be examined. Yeah. And people would ask you the most personal questions and feel fine about that. Uh, so I'm sure you've undergone a lot of that too. It's like, how often do you want to tell your entire life story to a stranger when it's not in a book?
0: <laughs> you know, when it's just <laughs> part of conversation, right? Yeah. Well, there's always that question of where'd you get those eyes? Well, oh, in the yeah. normal way that you get eyes from birth, and um, that's Funny. how it happened. You know? Uh, yeah. You, Johnson. Yeah. I mean, you're you're laughing and and you can laugh and joke about it now, but there's been a lot of work that you've done writing about this issue. And this book, The Letting Go Trilogies, is not the first foray into you trying to probe this. You've done it through various radio documentaries, through a short film, through the documentary about your mother, um, also through theater I am just wondering, well, one, why didn't I know about you when I needed to when I was a teenager? <laughs> and mm. Mm. two, what gave you this idea that you had permission to write about this stuff? for oh, so permission? I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you've really? been doing this. Yeah, I think that's what I'm always <laughs> asking myself. Like, why do I get to write about this when it just seems so... Uh, niche or foreign or um, irrelevant to so many, I think that's what kept me silent for so long and away from the writing. But you've been doing this in so many genres for so long. I I don't know, maybe because you didn't have that mindset that I did.
1: Well, I think there's um, a couple of things that came up. The first time I actually did explore my identity was in 1989. So that's a long time ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was the same year that Joy Luck Club came out. So to me, that was a time period when people were starting to look at their identity. And all through the 90s, it was all about identity. It was all about multiculturalism. Uh, I felt that strongly in, in theater as well as radio. People wanted these stories. So that was, that was part of the reason you know where you feel like you can do this work. Uh, for me, uh, my dad died early. Uh, my mom could not read or write. So there was a certain kind of freedom in that where mm-hmm. you didn't feel like you were going to hurt anybody too terribly by writing a play, although my mom... Did get mad at me for doing the radio documentary "May May, A Daughter Song." That was in 1989, and that was when I was first exploring um, identity. But mostly, I was exploring her story, and we went to Taiwan for a month, argued almost every single day. Um, And fought. But out of that came some really great recordings and some some insights into her life and into our relationship. And it was painful. And I laugh about it now, but it was painful. And she hated it. She hated listening to it. But at the same time, there was no way I could write her a letter. There was no way that, you know, I could tell her anything that intimate without it being a production that she would listen to or a play that she would go to. And she did go to the play. And, you know, it was a way, you know, she did hold it against me and she felt terribly about it, but also in a way it brought us closer together. And that's an odd thing, you know, where you um, have such a a conflicted relationship with a parent, but at the same time you're, you're still close. You know, you still love each other. So that that made uh, made it a, a little bit more freeing for me because I could explore these stories. I could explore the stories about my dad, my brother, you know, um, and and not have um, a lot of other family that would feel, you know, hurt or upset about it. I know a lot of people writing personal stories have to contend with that and have to deal with that and have to take the risk. Um, that they are going to hurt somebody. But in the end, yeah. it is your story, you know? That's the only thing you can really own is your story. And as long as you're yeah. true to other people and you're fair, that's that's what you want to go to. You know, in journalism, there's no such thing as ultimate objective truth, but there is fairness, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's what you, you try for when you're writing stories about your family is fairness. It. it will probably still upset people, but that's part of the, I guess, I guess that's part of what you have to go through. You know, that's paying your dues in some ways, you know, you you probably will upset people. And whether or not you feel strongly that the story is important to be told, that's your choice. You know, that's the choice that you have to make.
0: The Letting Go Chronicles turns out to be, for me, very much a Story about grief. Uh, grief is this unifying theme, and w- as I read it, uh, you know, I read it before it came you out. You read the I draft. Was so honored, season.
1: yes, thank you. And um, well, I was so honored.
0: And I have to tell you, I read it on a beach uh, and just felt <laughs> felt Aww. achy all over uh, Aww, in the hi. best way. Um, how? What? What am I trying to ask? What did it take for you? It is about grief. Yeah, it is about grief. It is about anger.
1: It's about letting go of regret as well. All the things that, I guess, tie us to feeling bad about ourselves. To me, (laughs) that's what we need to let go of. Um, We hold on. And I I don't know if it's a woman thing or if it's just a, a child thing, you know, in response to a parent or a family member. But, or a sibling thing. I don't know. Um, it, it is my thing. I do know. I hold on to things. I hold on to not just objects, which I, I have to make myself you know, give away or get rid of. You know, <laughs> within in the house, those hoarding tendencies. But it's also about hoarding emotions that aren't mm. good for you to hold on to. And that's what I was trying to do. And so, so the thing about uh, putting it out there, just for any writers out there, when you put a title on your book, And if it's something like letting go, people are going to ask you, so have you let that go yet? Are you letting that go yet? (laughs) It's all like a self-fulfilling
0: mantra that you have to remind yourself. Yeah, I wrote this book, so I do have to let that go. (laughs) I like that strategy. I'm not sure what the next title of my book should be then. Yeah, mine should be there's, about there's a lot. losing weight. But <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: If I write a book about losing weight, I'll have
0: to, right? <laughs> same, same here. Well, so the book really, it, it's, um, it's kind of a memoir in pieces. It's, it's essays. But it's not a traditional memoir that starts from the beginning no. to the end. Yeah. Uh, but it, these essays kind of keep circling back to pivotal moments in your growing up or your relationships with your mother or your father or your brother. Um, but I, I wanted to get to the heart of the story, which is more mixed-race people in Oregon. Who knew? I thought it was just me and my brothers and a couple Isn't of other that weird? in my class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, were, we were
1: all isolated. And to a certain extent, people in Oregon still are, you know, mixed-race people are isolated. I yeah. actually have um, been chosen to do uh, – The Oregon Humanities here has this uh, program called the Conversation Project. And so you can pitch a conversation you'd like to facilitate and lead in any community. So I pitched mixed race in Oregon. And so what I would love to do is travel around to these rural towns and and Portland as well, but just, you know, places where I felt isolated and to talk about mixed race. Because I think there are more people than we realize. And I think back in high school even back then in the Stone Age, I, I think that there might have been others, but we just didn't know. And we didn't talk about that. That was
0: the thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I write about being mixed race in Oregon, growing up there. and I, like, know, I, I love did. it. But the truth is, there were other mixed race people. It was just, and I knew them, and we were friends. It was just, we weren't allowed to talk about this thing. Like, we hmm. were all supposed to understand that... Yes, maybe we our families look the same, but it didn't matter because at least in at this time in this place, in this landscape, we were supposed to just be black. And to call out any kind of difference from what the standard rule was, was just not going to be okay. So we didn't, it was very strange. It was like we all knew who we were, and yet we never talked about it the strangest thing.
1: I don't. I, I think it is strange. It's almost like, you you, you know, that's how I, I, I call it, like a secret club or something. Yeah. You, know, you knew that you were sort of, but, um, and for me, I, you know, earlier on, interracial marriages were still pretty unusual. You know, they were, yes. um, I don't know if they were sources of shame for other people, but I think it, they were, you know, um, socially. So, you know, I I tried not to have my mom and my dad come to school events, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I I am not proud of that. But I knew it would cause more um difficulties for me. Yeah. And for yeah. my brother even worse, you know. So uh he was bullied throughout his whole experience. And actually that's the part that I was going to read from the book was uh um, the section where he was bullied, you know, throughout yes. his whole public school experience. Once we moved to this small town, Junction City, in Oregon.
0: Yes. Would you Would you read that for us now? That would sure. be so fantastic. But I think that you know, this is this is probably still something that um,
1: I think many kids might still experience in Oregon, which is sad to say, you know, because there yes. aren't that many people of color here, as you know. <laughs> so, and it's you changing, and you but you not
0: changing up. Well, was that it seems like there are fewer and fewer at least you know in in my old neighborhood where my mom was the only white person within twenty blocks, now it's all white people and oh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes sometimes it's colored people, but not often Very yeah. well,
1: that's gentrification right there because you're talking about north Portland area, right yes. so, yeah so yeah, it has changed so much well this is this is about um let me see, I'll try to keep it short uh. This is about the first day of school in Junction City. We had traveled around. I, I I was born in Taiwan. We lived in Japan till I was about eight. Very similar to your experience of international experience, and and then we um, moved to different uh, cities: Reno, Nevada; Boise, Idaho; and Eugene, Oregon, for a time. And everything was okay for a while. You know, we were migratory. Uh, every year we picked up and moved somewhere, so that my dad could find work. But then we made the fatal error of moving to Junction City, Oregon. So this is, this is a short piece from that. On our first day of school in Junction City, my brother and I rode home on the school bus. That experience would shape my brother's downfall. we had moved to a town with a population smaller than the audience of an outdoor rock concert. I knew what it meant to be outsiders. It remains emblazoned in my memory as a reminder of how quickly people can turn on you because they thought you were white and discover it wasn't quite true. On that first day, my beautiful, porcelain skin mother, 99 pounds petite with a coiffed black Bridget Bardot bouffant, wanted to make sure we were safe afterward. As the school bus neared our house, all the kids would, uh, could see her standing there on the side of the highway waiting for us to come home. A wave of gas rippled from the front to the back of the bus where we were sitting. They're Chinese. All eyes locked on my young brother and me as we made our way down the aisle of the bus. As I stepped down, I didn't greet my mother with a smile or a thank you. I secretly wish she had stayed away, stayed hidden, so we would have been spared the humiliation of being Chinese. Junction City was filled with 2,000 or so descendants of mostly Scandinavian farmers and pioneers. Many had journeyed from the Midwest to Oregon to start new lives. Every street and lane was named for early Scandinavian descendants, The most noted was Dane Lane, built by a real estate developer in 1902. He bought Danish ads in Midwestern papers calling for families of Danish descent to start a colony in Junction City. Several generations later, we were their first interracial family. The school system in this town became an uncapped well of torment for my brother. From that first day on the bus, my sweet, sensitive Jack endured fights and racial pranks that would now be called hate crimes. I don't know the full extent of what my brother went through. He still refuses to talk about it. Years later, I asked one of his schoolmates if they knew what had happened to him. He witnessed Jack being humiliated in the cafeteria once when bullies called him chink, nip, and Jap and smeared food all over his face as kids laughed. In fourth grade, he came home without his school books. He told Daddy he needed to buy more. After we moved to Junction City, he made less eye contact. His head turned downward or once his chin lifted up into the full sun. Jack's eyes remained downcast as he spoke to Daddy. He mumbled something about boys who stole his books and tried to flush them down the toilet to the bathroom. They called me slant eyes, he barely whispered. There were times during junior high he'd come home with bruises on his face and Daddy would and his good old boy naivete tried to instruct him to fight back. Jack kept his torment private from us until he graduated from high school. He only now tells me bits and pieces of his childhood, like the time in high school when the lead bully cornered him on the football field and punched him in the stomach until Jack doubled over in pain and fell to his knees. No words were spoken. Only a fist communicated the hatred the boy felt for Jack for no other reason than he was marked as an Oriental. It went beyond what people would call normal bullying because it was based on race. They bullied Jack because he was some Chinese kid who lived with the only interracial family the town had ever seen and the school turned a blind eye relegating the hatred he experienced, chalking it up to a boys-will-be-boys attitude. Though my brother physically survived the nightmare of violence he endured, he has never recovered emotionally. After I came back from the second year of college, I found Jack trying on his graduation robe. Ma insisted he walk down the high school track like I did when I graduated. The ceremony required male and female partners to walk together, I had asked a male friend. Jack had no friends. He would have to walk alone. My graduation had been a proud moment for my parents, and one of the only times they met my friends. But I could tell Jack was scared for his life. I felt the weight of his fear press into my heart. You know, I said quietly when my parents left the room, you don't have to go. They still give you your diploma. I don't? I smiled back at him. Nope. I convinced my parents to release him from the ordeal he dreaded. I suspected the bullies had threatened to have some fun with him after the ceremony. We ended up taking photos of him in the blue and gold graduation cap and gown, the colors of the JC Tigers, in the front yard as cars and log trucks whooshed by. I rolled up a piece of paper and tied a red ribbon on it in place of the diploma he'd get in the mail later on, and he looked directly at me, his big sister, with a rare display of gratitude in his eyes.
0: That just makes me want to cry. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It
0: really does. Because I'm, I mean, it just goes to, uh, just to my heart. Like I, I know that my own brothers had a different experience growing up Mm. mixed race than I did. One, because Mm. of their age and also because they were male and, you know, they had to fight in a way that I didn't have to fight. They had to physically fight. And they were bullied and um, and verbally abused and and I didn't have any powers or when I did have powers I I didn't find a way to stand up for them in the same way. So yeah, I don't know. I I mean, do yeah. you have those regrets? Like, oh God, yes. If you yes. had the, su- the superpowers oh, yeah. to go back and. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I also
1: write about, you know, uh, you know, my brother and I are both science fiction fans. We're both sci-fi addicts, you know, so we still watch poor, sci-fi. Of course, shows up. Because of Star Trek, Spock. you know, and, yes. and, and it was all multiracial, right? But, but, um, yes. but. Yeah, I I dream about time travel. I dream about going back there and saying, "Oh, you can't do this to him," you know. But yeah. when you are a, a, a young person, you don't have that much power. I didn't know exactly what I could do. I didn't know what was going on, you know. Mm-hmm. And part of me didn't want to have to deal with it because I had my own yeah. troubles. And I write about that shame, and that's the other thing I'm trying to let go of—that shame. You know, like, forgive your younger self, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did what you could, and yes, it probably wasn't enough. But you know, we have to. We also have to forgive that too, and we have to let that go. Um, there's so many, what I could have done, what I should have done, shoulda, woulda, coulda's. Um, and I guess as, as I get older, I want to let that go because it, it's just destructive. You know, we're always going to make mistakes. We're always not going to respond the right way all the time we're human Um, and part of forgiveness is also forgiving oneself and hopefully you learn from it and you you become better you know that's that's hopefully you know for me that's almost the only purpose in life
0: is to be better (laughs) One one of the things that I've been asked recently by a couple of people and interviewers is well you know are, have we almost played out this whole mixed thing? or oh, I know. even if Even if we haven't as a society, don't most people just take this on as a phase? And, you know, I, I guess what I'm asking you is, do you think that's true? And you've called this the letting go trilogies. Does that mean you are now beyond post-multiracial? Or, like, I don't even know what the term is, but... Is this, I do don't you, think you, you can, can ever be able with Ill this it. ever. Yeah, oh, I was, yeah, you can't do. It, yeah, I think you have
1: to. Um, and I think it's becoming. I think that question comes up. Uh, I remember in the '90s when we were exploring a lot of identity, uh, identity and multi- multiculturalism. Um, after a while, towards you know when the millennium came, people were ready to be post-racial. You know, they were ready to say, well, we've already done race. In fact, they, they told me that. Aren't you are tired of focusing on race, you know? Aren't you tired? Yeah. You, uh, you know? And it's like, no. <laughs> There's so many different mixtures. There's so many different stories. And it's all about people's stories that are underrepresented. And that's all that, you know, you asked me why you didn't know about me. I always did. I've always, all of my subjects have been things that are underrepresented, people's cultures, you know, races. Um, that are underrepresented and and female too, so yeah, of course not. I didn't go for the you know the hot topics, the the popular topics, the pop culture. You know, I, I've never gone for that. And um, I think that for me, it's more of a, a I don't want to say social work, but you know, it's it's it is to a certain extent. It's work that's based on trying to make society a little bit better. I, I don't have any. Um, grandiose ideas that I'm going to change the world. But I think that you can change little bits of it, you know. Yeah. And I think focusing on race is part of that. So people are going to say that to you because for the most part, people don't want to talk about race. But, you know, I, what I say to people, I don't want to talk about race either. <laughs> I think most people of color don't necessarily want to talk about race, but it comes up and you have to. And it keeps yeah. coming. And And I would say when people tell you, aren't we over that yet? Just say no. We're not. Nobody's ever going to be over it. It won't be. If, I mean, even even if, as we get more and more mixed race people, I think that the issues are going to change,
0: aren't they? Absolutely. And and the yeah. mixtures change, and the you know the landscape is going to change at some point as well too. I think the year is twenty forty three when white people will be the minority in the United States, and so mm. you know that that that. Changes the conversation, I think, in some ways. Um, it, anyway, I just want to say because we're we're running we're running out of time. But one of the wonderful one of the many wonderful things about this book is that it's written. It's a record, and um, we now are creating a history for ourselves as mixed race and multiracial American families and making sure that the story is recorded. And so thank you for doing that in such a beautiful way that this is a record that people can keep. But one of my great frustrations is that it seems like every generation that comes up, as soon as they have difficulties with their multiracial heritage or experience, they, they think they're the first person to have experienced it because I think we've done such a poor job of communicating that we've already had these experiences (laughs) in the past. And your book is such a great service in that way to future generations, this generation, so that they know that this has been happening and other people have struggled through it and you're not alone in this struggle. So for that, I say, you know, thanks for like doing the hard work and the emotional hard work of actually putting this experience down on the page for the rest of us going forward.
1: Oh, I appreciate that so much, Heidi. Thank you for your support and thank you for taking the time to do this and thank you for your great work. Let me know when your next book is coming out because oh, I want to I, interview I you. I, <laughs> I,
0: I will let everyone know as soon as that darn thing is done. I'm telling you. as you Isn't it the most painful?
1: Stuff.
0: It's the most painful thing,
1: isn't it? writing a book. It really it is. is.
0: <laughs> and, and then still it's joyous. You know, I actually spent yes, yes. solid hours with the manuscript yesterday for the first time in forever to spend, oh. you know, that much concentrated time with it. And I started to write new words and I was like, oh, this is why I like to do this. And then I started to struggle with the words and I thought, oh, this is why I don't like to do this. I must go on Facebook now. <laughs> <laughs> But ultimately, it's
1: rewarding, so, you know, it, it really is. So I encourage everybody to write, because you're right. We are creating a record, and the record is, you know, the library of mixed-race material is still needs to be filled, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, We still oh, need to you fill that, that so library. Quickly. Will you tweet that out? That's a perfect I way of saying it.
1: <laughs> everybody it can may- be part of the library. <laughs> where,
0: where can people find you and find your book?
1: Well, uh, you can go to Um, I have book links there. I also am on Amazon and uh, Kindle and CreateSpace. And uh, all you have to do is just type in the Letting Go Trilogies and it should come up. So it's okay. all there. So, uh, yeah, I'd so, love to. Yeah,
0: there's there's no reason not to get this book, you guys. It's It's actually, it's so good. It really is. And the cover, by the way, is very beautiful. You shared that with me early, too. Uh, but the stories themselves, um, they're important and they're heartbreaking. And if you're listening to this podcast, there are stories that are going to resonate with you and you're going to say, oh, right, I'm not alone, which is one of the beauties of literature, I think.
1: Well, thank you. And anybody actually who wants a sign copy, you know, they can just write me. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll give them information on how how they can get that. But I I would love to do that.
0: So oh, um, that's so and, gracious. Yes, I, yeah. We will make sure that people know that. Tamay, thank you so much for everything you do and for this wonderful book. And thanks for joining me today to talk about this and for making me a little bit weepy. Oh, well, you're
1: <laughs> sweet. There's also humor in it too. I want to tell people
0: <laughs> there are jokes. <laughs> but there there are I appreciate it.
1: yes, laughter there and cry. They go together. Well, thank you, Heidi, and kudos to you for your great work. I really appreciate everything that you do. I really do. So thank you you so much.
0: All right. We'll talk again soon. Okay, bye-bye. Yes,
1: definitely. Bye-bye.
0: Okay, well, she's so great. She's just so great in so many ways, actually. You really have to read this book. Um, I feel privileged that I've gotten to know her through the interwebs and um, yes, we've got to get her actually to the festival next year because it is the 50th anniversary and it's going to be a big deal and it's going to be a great celebration. Uh, go out and buy the Letting Go Trilogies, please. I I promise you, you will not be disappointed. I loved, loved, loved it. I, I read it again in this last week before talking to her. And, um, you know, it's the kind of thing that makes me want to go right, which is you know, what I do, but it also scares me. But when I read her stuff, it makes me feel brave again. So anyway, maybe you're in that position too. Hey guys, um, thanks for joining me today. This has been a kind of emotional. I, I hope I didn't sound too weepy. I was getting a little teary there as she read. Uh, but I also have a cold, <laughs> so apologies for that. I'm back again the week after next with a fantastic guest. We have uh, Natasha Dion, the author of Grace, coming on the show. She's just phenomenal human being, incredible writer. She's like gonna be the most famous writer you've ever heard of very soon. She already is, basically. And uh, we get to talk to her uh, on the 11th of July. So tune in then. If you have any questions, send me emails at Heidi at heidiwdrow.com or tweet me at Heidi Derow. Uh, Also, if you happen to be over on iTunes and want to leave a little review, that would be lovely. Thanks a lot, guys. That would be awesome. Anyway, have a fantastic holiday weekend. Thanks for joining me. This is The Mixed Experience, and I'm your host, Heidi DeRoe. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.